Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the federal government joins the legal fight to block the threatened shutdown of the Line 5 energy pipeline through Michigan saying its potential closure raises grave concerns for the Canada-U.S. relationship. The Minister of Natural Resources is here to explain Canada's battle plan. And we'll get an anxious and defiant view from the community with the most to lose, the Mayor of Sarnia, Ontario, with what's at stake for his community. New COVID infections have started to slowly decline across Canada as vaccinations ramp up, but the Prime Minister warns restrictions should stay in place to drive infections down, so Canadians can look forward to a one-dose summer. That's on a day when Ontario pauses the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine as a first shot because of safety concerns. And we'll begin tonight with a showdown between Canada and the state of Michigan, which is set to come to a head. The governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, has ordered the Vital Line 5 pipeline carrying light crude oil from Western Canada to central provinces and U.S. states shut down by tomorrow. The Enbridge pipeline supplies nearly half of the oil and natural gas liquids used in Ontario and Quebec. 30,000 Canadian jobs are at stake. The Michigan governor's called a section of the 65-year-old pipeline running across the Mackinac Straits a ticking time bomb, and she ordered it shut down by tomorrow. Enbridge has refused and has taken the governor to court. Both sides are in mediation. Today, the federal government filed what's called an amicus curiae brief as a party with an interest in the outcome of the process, saying a shutdown of the line would pose grave concerns about the reliability of the treaties with the United States. More on that in a moment. In the House of Commons today, the Prime Minister was urged to press Canada's case with the Americans. Tomorrow, the governor of Michigan wants to shut down the Line 5 pipeline that is critical to the Canadian economy. After many months of inaction, this morning, mere hours before the deadline, the Liberal government filed an objection with the court. Is this last-minute legal action an admission that this Prime Minister's outreach to President Biden has failed? Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, Line 5 is a critical piece of infrastructure both for Canada and the United States. It's vital for energy workers and families on both sides of the border. Today, the Government of Canada filed a submission in U.S. court in support of the continued safe operation of Line 5 and in support of continued mediation between Michigan and the company. As we have for many months, Ambassador Hillman and government officials will continue to engage with our counterparts on this important issue. Well, let's get more details about the federal government's plan to keep Line 5 from being shut down and what's at stake for Canada. Seamus O'Regan is Canada's Minister of Natural Resources. He is with me now. Minister O'Regan, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Look, uh, you filed an amicus curiae brief with the U.S. District uh, Court in Michigan today. So to be clear for our viewers, that's a filing that allows uh, a third party with an interest in the outcome of the legal process to weigh in. Your government makes the case that the threatened shutdown of of Line 5 raises grave concerns about the Canada-U.S. relationship. In what ways? Well, it, it certainly it raises grave concerns about our energy security, um, and and that's you know that's our concern here. As you said, you know the the amicus uh, brief is is you you come you become involved as a friend of the court, 
The dispute we acknowledge is between Enbridge and Michigan, but what we're saying is we have a national interest here, and we, we have information that we believe is relevant to the dispute. That's formally what we're saying to the court. In, in fairly plain language, what we're saying is, look, there is a treaty uh, between Canada and the U.S., the Pipeline Transit Treaty of 1977. It applies to Line 5. Michigan should not be able to unilaterally close Line 5. The federal government, or sorry, the federal court in the in, in Michigan uh, has jurisdiction here. And look, in, in the event that mediation fails, and that's where it is right now between these two parties, right. they, they're under court-ordered mediation. In the event that mediation fails and the federal court should not order Line 5 shut down until Canada and the U.S. have had a chance to work the matter out through the provisions of the treaty. So that, that's where things stand. Okay. We want to make sure that that treaty is exceptionally important. And if you read it, it is fairly, again, plain spoken about its uh, its intentions. Well, let's talk about that. It's it's a treaty that protects the cross-border pipelines from, uh, in, in many ways, political interference and anything else that would uh, stop the transmit transmission of energy products from one country through another country back to the original country. Now, exactly. Um, you're saying the court should prevent the governor of Michigan from shutting down line five. Well, those discussions uh, may continue between the Canadian government and the Biden administration. So let's go there. What's the nature of those discussions? And are they with the president himself? Because so far, uh, Joe Biden seems disinclined to go to bat for Canada on pipelines and go against the governor of Michigan, who happens to be a close Democratic ally and ran his election campaign. Well, look, we've had all sorts of discussions, uh, you know, with uh, with 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 senators. Uh, I'm trying. I mean, I, I I've spoken myself with the energy secretary. Uh, we've spoken with the president, with the vice president. They're certainly all aware of it. But it is between uh, two parties in court, uh, in the district court in Michigan. It is between uh, the state of Michigan and Ambridge. Um, it is. It was extremely important at this juncture that we came forward and said, look, this is something that is in Canada's national interest, as you put it. Um, and uh, and we have a you know, we are quite uh, interested in the outcome. Um, but having said that, you know, it is between these two parties. I do have. Uh, but you, but aren't, have you, faith, aren't you really aren't you really serving notice? Yeah. I do have faith in these parties coming to a sensible result. Uh, I mean, aren't you really serving notice today that you think it's uh, that it is beyond a dispute between two parties? Uh, when you present a brief that has language in it, that it's, you know, it raises grave concerns about the relationship between mm -hmm. the two countries, it's more than just a fight between Michigan and Enbridge, isn't it? Well, certainly, in, as far as the courts are concerned, and that is quite essential right now, um, as far as the courts are concerned, this is between the state of Michigan and Enbridge. But having said that, no, absolutely. It was very important that we come forward and say this is something that is in the Canadian national interest, that this is a, an integral part of our, of our energy security. Um, you know, as you pointed out, uh, you know, th this pipeline is not an export pipeline. This is a pipeline, uh, while it does export some products, it, right. it, it originates in Alberta, goes through it, and then comes through Saskatchewan, then Wisconsin, Michigan, then on through to Ontario and Quebec. And that's why we, you know, we're very clear that yeah. the 1977 treaty uh, has relevance here, the transit treaty. Uh, there's also a dispute settlement mechanism that's contained within that too, that, you know, you, what we're saying is you, you can't shut down this pipeline without a court order. Um, and we make, I think, a very strong argument that, uh, you know, were the courts ever so inclined, they would have to make sure that they invoked uh, the treaty first. Right. So this, this uh, your approach, and you and I have discussed it, uh, you know, looks beyond the possibility that uh, mediation uh, might actually fail. Uh, I think the government is still hoping for a mediated solution to the, to the dispute. But uh, based on how entrenched uh, the position of the governor of Michigan is, what kind of mediated settlement do you think would satisfy uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who wants the line shut down completely? Well, I mean, that, that'll be, you know, between uh, the state of Michigan, uh, the, 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 you know, the court and, uh, and, and Enbridge. Um, 
but you know, I will say, look, I fervently believe uh, that the windshield here is bigger than the rearview mirror. We have this administration and our government and many provincial governments, I should add as well, are so aligned on, on issues of the environment, the economy, energy, and, and combating climate change. Uh, it is, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you or anybody watching, it's night and day compared to the Trump administration. We have, uh, you know, we're both ambitious and we have an incredible amount of opportunity before us, particularly if we work together. But having said that, you know, given all that goodwill and given all that ambition, perhaps, you know, it does put in perspective what we had to do today, uh, which is make sure that we picked up for Canada's national interest. It very much is line five. Yeah, some are suggesting you, uh, uh, you know, there's a, an arbitration process involved in the treaty as well. Some are suggesting you move straight to that instead of waiting for the outcome of, of mediation. Uh, you could have signaled that today saying, look, uh, we want to invoke the, the provisions of a treaty that allow us to go straight to arbitration and get this thing settled. Uh, why not do that? Well, look, I think we have to respect the court's jurisdiction. Um, you know, I am I am not going to start offering legal advice to myself. We have good lawyers who who have given us good advice on this. Uh, and we are extremely well represented in Washington as well um, by uh, by the ambassador and and by Joe Comart and our consul general who's in Detroit. Um, they know the ground. Uh, we you know, we have been following this obviously intently. I have been as minister um, and we've also worked very closely with other provinces as well. I mean, my my relationship on this, uh, I have a strong alliance and a common position with Minister Savage and Minister Ayer in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Minister Rickford in Ontario and, and Minister Julien in Quebec. It's not often I think you'd have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, these provinces, this federal government uh, are as one on issues of, uh, of energy, the environment and the economy. We are on this. Line 5 is international interest. You've had lots of time to look at contingency plans if, if it is shut down. So, uh, you mean the governor of Michigan? Uh, made her intentions uh, clear last fall. So what's the plan if it does get shut down? Well, energy will get to market because it has to. We can't have people go cold in winter. Um, but, you know, it will involve a lot of 18-wheelers clogging up the 401 and the 403 around the, the greater Toronto area. It will involve uh, a lot of idling 18-wheelers at the border. It will involve uh, boats, you know, going through the Great Lakes, carrying, uh, carrying oil and, and oil products up through the St. Lawrence, and it will involve rail. Um, and it won't be nearly as efficient or as cheap or inexpensive anyway, uh, or as safe um, uh, as, as this pipeline does, as it has done for 68 years. All right. Uh, Canada's Minister of Natural Resources, Seamus O'Regan. Uh, good of you to give us some of your time tonight, Minister. Take care. Always good to talk to you. Okay, so let's drill down a little on what's at stake in Canada if Line 5 is forced to shut down. 30,000 jobs are on the line in this country, and a lot of those jobs are in the border city of Sarnia, Ontario. Mike Bradley is the mayor of Sarnia, and he's with me now. Mayor Bradley, uh, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Uh, let's start with the news today that the federal government has joined the legal battle now to keep Line 5 from being shut down. Uh, you've been asking for the federal government to, uh, to intervene in all of this. What's your reaction to the move they've made today? Well, it's a very positive move uh, that uh, I've been dealing with the last uh, number of months with uh, Seamus O'Regan, the Natural Resources Minister, and uh, he's been keeping myself and through me, the community, up to date. So it's it's down to the wire, but this was anticipated, and it is a most welcome step because it brings the resources we need of the federal government to the courts. But more importantly, I think it also sends a clear message to Michigan and to Washington that how important this line is to Canadians. 
the threat of this shutdown goes back to an election promise uh, from the Michigan governor last last fall that uh, she you know placed this order on Enbridge to shut down as of midnight tomorrow. Uh, do you believe the Canadian government responded quickly enough to, to that threat? Uh, uh, tell me about that. Well, I'm not going to second guess them. I will say this: uh, prior to Christmas, in this community, we couldn't get any traction on trying to get other groups interested in this issue. And after Christmas, it started to formulate as a nationalist. You know, we got the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, we got labor unions, we've got a number of other significant groups involved. And the province and the federal government were doing their normal dance of back and forth about who was responsible. But out of that came a fairly strong coalition. And it was absolutely amazing last Thursday night to see in the House of Commons an emergency debate yep. on a pipeline with all the major parties except the Green united on the pipeline. Never mind about who should have done what when, right. supporting this pipeline. Given the pipeline history in this country, that was stunning. But it also showed how the message had gotten across both to the province and the federal government. When it's all said and done, this is a federal responsibility. And they have stepped up now uh, with this legal brief, which I think will have a, a huge impact on trying to change the decision of the Michigan governor. All right. Uh, tell, me what you, tell me what effect you think it'll have. Well, first of all, the message to Washington. Now, Washington has been pretty silent on this issue. Mm -hmm. And this is at the end game. If it doesn't work with mediation, which Enbridge and the state of Michigan's in right now, it's gonna have to be a political decision. And it's gonna have to be at the level of Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden. And if you think about it uh, as a border city mayor, we went through the four years of the Donald Trump hell and you know the way Canadian government was treated, the way Canadians were treated. And we thought we we're coming to a brighter day with the election of Biden. So this is the, you know, Keystone was a pipeline that hadn't moved forward. This is a key signal from the Biden administration if they don't step up or they support the governor of Michigan, that uh, this next four years could be very difficult for Canadians from a Democratic administration. Sure. Uh, what's at stake for your city if Line 5 were to shut down uh, and, and perhaps as early as tomorrow? Well, the direct job impact is said to be three to 5,000 jobs. So we're talking well-paying jobs that have been in this community a long time. The other jobs, I mean, this is jobs in Alberta, it's jobs in Ontario, it's jobs in Quebec. Uh, the cost of propane and gasoline will skyrocket for everyone in eastern Canada. Uh, there will be, this is the part that I find, Peter, so contradictory. There will be many more trucks on the road to carry this product, many more rail cars, and we know how, unfortunately, that's worked out in Canada. More barges on the St. Clair River and on the uh, Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. So how is that environmentally friendly? The answer is it's not. So the consequences are huge. I do believe the May 12th date is somewhat artificial. The governor doesn't really have the power unless she's gonna go into the courts to immediately shut it down. I would hope that that would not happen when there's mediation. And I would hope the message from the Canadian government to the Michigan government and to the government in Washington is, what are you doing? It's not just this pipeline. It is, what are you doing to the relationship? There's $90 billion in trade that goes back and forth between Ontario and Michigan every year. Sarnia has the second busiest border crossing, mm -hmm. the biggest rail tunnel. And what does the governor think she's accomplishing in all these other sectors? And as we come out of COVID, how is the relationship going to work when the governor of Michigan doesn't give a damn about Ontario or Canada? How, so uh, tell me more about that. How, how, how worried are you that the pipeline will actually shut down tomorrow? And if not tomorrow, uh, maybe soon. I guess in, in that same con, we know there are lots of groups uh, on both sides of the border, environmental groups, indigenous groups that are opposed to it. Uh, now that this process is underway and in the spotlight, how concerned are you that 
the, the, the pipeline, um, uh, you know, could somehow be, if it's not closed down tomorrow, could somehow be disrupted now that uh, there's this inertia, at least to some extent, to try and have it shut down. Well, Peter, I'm just worried this is going to drag on for months and perhaps years. It's already brought a great deal of anxiety to this community. It also impacts on investment in this region. And so that's the bigger concern. What is the governor going to do tomorrow? Because I don't think literally she's, unless she's going to go out there and turn the, the, uh, the, the device on the pipeline to shut it, it's going to happen. But then what's going to go on for the next number of months? And again, I speak to you as a border city mayor that's had a good relationship with Michigan and Michigan governors in the past. And we've got this almost trying to start another war of 1812 tactic by this governor that is having a tremendously negative impact on our relationship. And then for the next six months or year, how long do we wait to find out what the solution is to line five? The former governor of Michigan accepted the solution, which was $600 million to be spent mm -hmm. in that one portion of the Great Lakes to put it in concrete and to protect it. And that plan can start immediately if the Michigan governor would accept it. How do you think the federal government should respond? I mean, there, there will be this ongoing, uh, perhaps ongoing mediation, perhaps uh, ongoing uh, legal battle, perhaps ongoing diplomatic uh, discussions about this. But how do you think the federal government should respond if in the near term here uh, she finds a way, the governor does, to shut the pipeline down? Well, I couldn't even imagine that scenario. If that's the case, the federal government is going to have to throw the playbook out about dealing with uh, the Joe Biden administration and look at retaliatory action, which I don't think benefits anyone. Because again, we're talking about immediate increase in the cost of fuel for Canadians. We're talking about environmental disruption with more traffic, rail and, and trucks. Uh, we're talking about a huge negative impact on our relationship. And that is that, and you know, the Minister of Natural Resources made it clear, this is non-negotiable on this line. So if that doesn't work, and we, it actually shut down, it will be economic chaos. I mean, we've just seen by pure coincidence what happened in the United States when uh, there was a pipeline disruption of great significance with right. cyber attacks. And that's the same scenario that could occur here, ironically, right away, that all of a sudden you've got this huge problem with Canadians trying to function in their daily living because of this pipeline being shut. All right, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. Uh, thanks for your uh, perspective, Mayor Bradley, and uh, we'll see what happens. We'll continue to watch. Uh, good to talk to you. Take care. Thank you very much. Now to the latest on COVID-19 and the third wave in Canada. The number of new infections is slowly beginning to moderate in many parts of the country. Ontario reported just over 2,000 new infections today, the lowest daily case count since late March. Quebec reported 660 new infections, also a daily low since the end of March. As provinces ramp up vaccinations, there are more questions about whether we can mix and match vaccines, and that discussion is taking on more significance, as some provinces consider limiting the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine because of supply issues and concerns about side effects. The province of Ontario has now decided to pause the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine as a first shot because of those increasing concerns about the risk of blood clots in some people who have received the vaccine. Part of our role with our vaccine uh, safety program with our adverse event reporting systems and the dynamics that go on there, we're looking for every possibility, every inch of issues that are happening. And then we're moving on in an abundance of caution to say, let's pause and assess this carefully. Well, today, the Prime Minister urged provinces to maintain their strict health orders to drive case counts even lower, opening the possibility of a less restrictive summer once every eligible Canadian has had a first dose of vaccine. 
We need to get cases down. And we've seen from waves in the past the problems that happens if restrictions are opened too early. It just leads to a greater next wave. So the first thing we need to do to make sure we're getting into a one-dose summer where people can be a little freer and have a little bit more normal summer with friends around the barbecue is case numbers need to be down right across the country. Dr. Lisa Barrett is an infectious diseases expert and researcher at Dalhousie University in Halifax. She is with me now. And Dr. Barrett, thanks again for uh, taking some time to discuss the latest COVID-19 developments. I do appreciate it. Oh, good afternoon. Uh, let me start with the latest infection rates across the country and what appears to be in most places a moderating of the overall case numbers. That has a lot of people wondering about reopening. Uh, is that kind of talk premature still? Yeah, that, I mean, that's very premature. I think if there's one thing that people can take to the bank at this point is that these variants, for whatever reason, in whatever way, do move more easily, they're more transmittable, and they will take full advantage of any opportunity to spread again and quickly and without symptoms. And given that most provinces don't even test people without symptoms, it would be a disaster to open too quickly. Even though people are getting vaccinated and that does help, we really, really would be unwise, I think, to open things too quickly with these variants with only one dose of vaccine in only some people. Yeah, I mean, the Prime Minister did broadly talk about uh, reopening today and, and the requirement to get infections way down right across the country. Uh, he talked about more than 75% of Canadians needing to have received a first dose of vaccine. Uh, he's talking hopefully by perhaps the end of June. But until then, restrictions uh, need to stay in place to keep outbreaks under control. Do you agree with that? Uh, that sort of broad approach where, in terms of vaccination, uh, up against restrictions? Absolutely. I mean, um, the, the vaccines are amazing. They're great. Um, they do prevent a significant amount of hospitalization and death, and that's an incredibly important thing that they do. But immunity is a sliding scale, and with these variants, um, the peak of immunity may not be quite as high, and therefore it really is important to get two doses of vaccine into people before they can be considered protected. And in addition to that, we really need to see the case numbers be very low and the community spread part, and this is very important, there needs to be enough testing being done to know if there's community spread. And if you still have unidentified cases with no known source in the community, don't open up yet. It's just not going to go well. Canada has been getting a steady supply of, uh, of Pfizer vaccines and, uh, and Moderna is expected to get back on track with deliveries. But there's lots of uncertainty around the AstraZeneca deliveries with uh, none in the immediate future. And Alberta has stopped giving AstraZeneca now as a first dose and will use whatever supplies it has left for second doses only because of supply concerns. Other provinces reconsidering the use of AstraZeneca because of concerns over the side effects. Uh, what do we know about mixing first and second doses of vaccine? Because that seems to be where a lot of the talk is headed. Yeah, there are multiple studies going on around the world to deliberately, in a controlled clinical trial situation, look at that. And to be clear, the real science questions there are not whether it's particularly safe. It almost certainly is going to be safe. 
The real question there is, will it be as effective as using the same vaccine for first and second doses, and or will it be better? We've done this before with different kinds of vaccines, most notably in Canada, the pneumonia vaccines. We mix and match those for first and second doses. And so the real question is, will the clinical trials show a difference? Right now, best strategy is probably not to mix and match till we have those data, but if we had to, to get the second dose into people, it's not really safety that's the issue, it's just how well it works. Likely it's gonna be pretty darn well, if not a little bit better. So that's that's a speculation part, uh, and we hope not to have to speculate on a vaccine program uh, in Canada, but we'll see how that goes. Let me uh, draw that out a bit if I can. Uh, some experts suggesting the immune response, uh, I think you sort of touched on it, could be even stronger against the emerging variants by mixing vaccines. Um, without digging too much into the weeds for us lay people here, uh, how, how would that work? Why, why could the immune response actually be stronger? Okay, so the first dose is your immune system getting an education. And consider it maybe like a high school education. Um, you get lots of good knowledge. Your body responds better to, to, the, to the virus if it sees it. But the second dose can be like getting um, the first couple of years of your university degree. And because you're not taking the same lecture over and over, if you mix and match, so to speak, you'd be giving a different lecture. So you get broader coverage of the knowledge, so to speak, uh, with the second dose being different. Uh, that may be why the immune system may be even stronger after if you give a different type of second dose. And that's kind of what we do with pneumonia. We give that first shot and then we provide a second shot that has broader coverage, slightly different coverage, so you don't get exactly the same lecture, if you will, over and over again. So that's the way I think of it. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a wonderful uh, comparison. There, there are look. Uh, there's also provinces right now. I touched on it earlier. Engaged in. Uh, discussions about whether to suspend the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine in favor of one of the other vaccines because of those potential side effects Canadians have heard about. Now, if I uh, have had the AstraZeneca vaccine, as I have, I've had that as my first dose, uh, what are the potential risks if I get a second dose of AstraZeneca uh, and I'm offered that as opposed to the, the idea of vaccine mixing? Right. So the... Um the special type of blood clot associated with AstraZeneca is an immune response that your body has. And while we can't definitively say that it never happens after a second dose, if it hasn't happened after the first dose, it is much less likely to happen after a second dose. So that very, very rare side effect becomes even rarer in terms of thinking about the second dose. And so if people have access to their second dose, and that's going to give them, if you will, that university level education for their immune system, I would suggest, especially if you had no difficulties with the first dose, that that's a very, very safe and reasonable thing to do. Um, but the other part is I always tell people, be informed and educated about what the signs and symptoms are that you're looking for. Rash, headache, change in vision, sudden shortness of breath. Make sure you watch out for those things for a few days after the vaccine, for four to 16 days. Um, not because you want to increase your anxiety, but because you want to be aware and prepared, because this is a treatable side effect if found early as well. All right. Uh, just in the last uh, less than a minute or so we have left, uh, give me your thoughts on where you think we are here. Uh, as you look down the road, uh, how much optimism are you feeling? How much concern are you feeling? 
I love the fact that we're getting further and further ahead with vaccines. That's going to be very important as we go forward. I mentioned earlier that vaccines aren't perfect for preventing all infection as we go forward, but they are certainly very good at preventing disastrous illness. And that's very important. Combine some vaccines with what I hope is going to be a better testing strategy across the country. Putting those two hand in hand, I hope we're going to get towards the fall part of the year with a very vaccinated, very protected population that know how to get tested and we can start to think about real and meaningful opening up. Uh, but I hope folks don't go down that road too fast or I suspect we're going to be doing this wave thing for a little while longer. All right. Uh, thanks so much for your time again tonight, Dr. Lisa Barrett. Uh, always great to talk to you. Uh, appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching.